HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's c-o-m-t-e-usa.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd. I'm your host today, Jessica Kesselman, and I'm excited to uh, have a conversation that's a little cheese adjacent in this episode. I'm going to introduce you to Wayward Spirit founder, Emily Darchuk, and we are going to talk about the way Wayward Spirit connects the dots from farm to flask upcycling way and transforming it into an 80 proof spirit in a category all its own. This creates new challenges and only an entrepreneur slash dairy scientist can tackle transforming the way we look at existing supply chains, food systems, marketing, and disrupting the way we think about categories in the marketplace. So Emily, welcome to Cutting the Curd. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here today. So can you tell us about Wayward Spirit? And of course, that's spelled W-H-E-Y. So that's a clue (laughs) to everyone. So can you tell us a little bit about Wayward Wayward Spirit and uh, what makes it so unique? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wayward Spirit, we like to say the name has multiple meanings. First and foremost, we're really excited and proud to be one of the first and the only um, dairy-based, derived from sweet whey, from cheese, um, distilled specialty spirit on the market because it just makes a better tasting spirit. But also, as you mentioned, the entrepreneurial piece of it, it's that wayward mentality um, and that boldness to do things differently for the right reasons. And for us, it's the um, boldness to be subcategory and focusing on flavor and versatility and use and that really culinary experience um, with what we're doing and the flavor we're creating and kind of respecting our fermentation source, which is whey. Um, and also the second piece of that is to make a sustainable difference through our sourcing, um, to be giving that whey its highest and best use um, and preventing waste through our production. So, you know, that wayward mentality makes the wayward spirit, um, which is a whey-based spirit. So it all kind of flows together. 
So you're using a lot of language that I think a lot of uh, people in the cheese industry are familiar with. And, you know, you talked about fermentation, you talked about whey. Uh, can you uh, tell us a little bit more um, as well about your background? Because you actually have um, a work history in, uh, in uh, dairy. Yeah. So my formal training, um, <laughs> aside just being a foodie at heart, is as a food scientist. Um, so I got my undergrad in food science and nutrition, my master's in uh, food science and technology um, with a focus on dairy quality and um, have my MBA as well. So kind of going out of school, I was always really curious about where food came from. And, you know, it's the opportunity to really kind of shape that impact and inspire people how to eat um, through product development. So I worked um, in a lot of companies in innovation and commercialization and as a product developer, mainly in natural food and dairy industries. And I kind of always saw my role um, or my purpose within that role is really to, you know, translate consumer needs into tangible products with science. So it's always been that, hey, where is there is this opportunity and the opportunity to do good and create a great product? Um, and what is the science, the production, the supply chain, all the partners to make it happen? Um, and that's kind of... Um, what I did for years um, before kind of moving into entrepreneurship and, you know, the opportunity to create the type of company and product I've always kind of dreamt of working on. And, uh, you know, sometimes in this industry, in, in dairy, dairy farming, we talk about value added products and uh, ways to um, increase revenue streams outside of fluid milk or, um, finding a new niche in the market. So how did you stumble upon um, the idea of using whey in an alcohol-based product? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is, you know, we're working with cheese producers and they're focused on their great product um, with it. And what we're tapping into is kind of a burden. Um, and for them to create our product would be a completely different production process. So where we add value is like a growing to reduce that burden um, and to be able to tap that and have the sheer focus to create a value add new category um, that I think will pay dividends in the long run um, and being able to scale. So it's kind of even beyond of like, hey, where's the next value add and more like, hey, here's a new category, a new type of industry, a new partner type business um, to fit within the existing food system. Are there are there examples anywhere uh, globally where this was like already happening? Like, I you know, it's just it's so interesting to me, this idea, you know, we talk about um, like if I think about vodka and I think about like, OK, sometimes you can get vodka made from potatoes um, or it's, you know, based in something else. But is there any cultural history in the world of using uh, whey or dairy in a fermented alcoholic uh, spirit? Yeah, there's a ton of history with it. And, um, you know, there's probably about 10 companies across the world making a a alcohol distilled spirit um, from whey or from dairy. Um, and that everything I've really seen has been that vodka, that gin, that very much a tight category uh -huh. um, to date. But I mean, there's centuries of histories around this. And I think the interesting 
thing. If you look at alcohol, historically, it's always been about, you know, preservation and reduction of waste and using what you have. Um, and that's kind of the historical roots about it. Um, and we kind of went away from that. And I think there's going to be a resurgence towards looking at what your feedstock is and making the most of it and, and that. But what we're doing that's different than what's been done before and that other people are kind of doing in the market is, at least in the United States, um, the standard of identities of, you know, different categories of different types of spirits is pretty narrow. Um, and to be a vodka, you can essentially make it out of anything, um, but you have to take it to a neutral form. So essentially coming off the still as close to ethanol as you can. And that's why it's that very kind of neutral, um, no flavor type of spirit. What we're, we're doing is kind of seeing this not as hey, here's something to make something that already exists out of, but really trying to see this as a natural evolution in agricultural-based spirits. So just like you would take an agave and make a tequila, or you would take um, sugar cane and make a rum, we're taking whey and we're making wayward spirits. So we're really focused on fermentation and flavor um, and making a really beautiful bouquet and flavor profile with it. Um, and then making our cuts and distillation lower than you would a vodka. So we're retaining that complexity, that flavor, that, you know, terroir, that that um, distinctiveness like you're getting out of an, a, a tequila or you're getting out of a rum or you're getting out of those type of spirits versus creating something neutral out of it. And I think that's um, one of the really unique things about Wayward and was really passionate about me is like, I don't want to just create something that already exists. I really want to add value, you know, to our customers and consumers and the the marketplace as a whole. And we're doing that by kind of creating a complexity, creating a spirit that you can use in so many different cocktails and something that's sippable on its own and preventing food waste and all of these other things kind of on the side. So um, yeah, it's been definitely inspired by tons of makers before. And, you know, it's that, that wayward mentality to go subcategory and do it a little different. It's funny, you know, you were talking about, um, the narrow definitions or the, you know, of categories or the, de- the narrow parameters of categories that seem to have just perpetuated year after year after year. And, um, that idea that, that, um, wayward sees, uh, sees the whole system in a different way than the consumer does or any producers or people responsible for putting out products. They have a different perspective than the consumer does, um, on a category. And like you were saying about, you know, about spirits, um, so much of it is about the way we're marketed to, right? So I, I wonder how much of my perception of um, purchasing something that falls outside the category norms or because it just hasn't been marketed to me before, you know? So like, I don't know. I wonder, you know, if we just like are, we've become so limited or, ne- you know, our, our palates, um, and I'm talking more mainstream, you know, I think foodies by nature are more adventurous. But our palates are so much defined by the way we're marketed to. Um, and so what, what kind of challenges or what kind of stigmas are, are you um, trying to address in your marketing? Because this is new. This is, I mean, how are you, how are you uh, interacting with end users here or convincing category managers? Yeah, I think, I mean, your insight's spot on. And it's... <laughs> We're trying to do the most simple thing, which is sometimes hard. It's like 
we're trying to empower consumers to trust their palate, to trust what they like, <laughs> to taste something, to realize like, oh, a cocktail's not actually scary. It's one to three ounces of a base spirit, which we are. And it might be equal parts of like uh, acid. So maybe your lemon juice, your lime juice, and the same thing with the sweet element. So maybe a honey syrup or, you know, a simple syrup or something like that. Um, and that's what you're paying $16 at, you know, at a cocktail bar, but you can create it yourself. And, you know, you've, there's been so much money spent on campaigns and celebrities and this and that, that like, nobody's actually talking about the product and nobody's putting their same values that they're having in their things that they're, you know, really worried about all the flavor and the elements and the value and where it comes from and the impact on things that they're spending three, four or $5 in their basket. They're not thinking about the thing they're spending 30, 40, 50 on. So it's, it's nothing new. We're not creating new values. We're not creating new, you know, anything. It's just empowering people to trust their palate to, you know, simplify something that I think has been marketed to the elitist or hard to grasp um, and to just focus on like, hey, instead of buying a vodka, instead of buying a gin, instead of buying a rum, instead of buying all these things, you can buy this and create every single thing you want with it um, and that. So we like to say that curiosity is going to get you to try it because it's radically different and that quality is what really hooks you. And that's the way we're different. And that was you know, for me, if I'm going to create something and develop something, you know, it's going to be a product where you can taste a difference and make a difference because that's going to, you know, actually be that category shifter. And, you know, every bottle we produce, you know, kind of goes towards solving a problem. So it's passionate for me that, you know, the things we're producing, you know, are valued in the market. Um, and that because that means we're doing good. And the, the, the more we do good, the more we can do good. So that's exciting for me. And, you know, something I is really important. And, you know, it's especially with COVID, it's just getting it in people's hands and having them try it and, you know, having people join the herd and, and you know, be ambassadors for it and early adapters because the values we're bringing exist in other categories. They're just radically different in alcohol. And I think that is a shining example why it's time for disruption, um, but disruption for good. So in... Um you know, a little full disclosure to people, you know, peeking behind the curtain. I always like to talk with my guests beforehand, um, before we do an interview. And we sometimes get into a deep dive, um, into, you know, certain, certain topics. And I remember, um, Emily, you and I, when we were talking about tackling food waste, you, you <laughs> posed the question, why is anyone wasting anything? And I, and I think that that's just really important because again, you know, I think some of it comes back to, we are marketed, um, to such a small, um, marketing is directed at such a small segment of like, um, of where a product starts from. So, you know, like we like discard or shed, um, all the byproducts and then they just disappear. They just go away. Right. And like in food waste and in, and in, trash in general, um, you know, there's, there's no away, away does not exist. It's not a place, you know, it's just doesn't, things don't just disappear. And, um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about, about W H E Y way, <laughs> where does way go? 
um, in your experience in, in, in investigating sourcing and such, what have you learned about whey? Like, where does whey go if it's not being used um, in, you know, some cheese making or, or in, you know, being sold to um, a company as an ingredient? Because it is in like every processed food. Um, where, where would whey go? Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> so it's interesting and it's complicated and it's a cross section of, it's a cross, it's, it, it depends. <laughs> I think that's the answer to like every, every, um, kind of tricky problem and that, but I think the first thing to understand and your um, audience probably knows this better than anyone is just how you make cheese and how then you create whey. So for every one pound of cheese made, there's pretty much nine pounds of whey remaining. Um, a lot of it's water. Everyone thinks about it as protein. It's less than 1% protein. It's a lot of uh, lactose, natural sugar, and minerals. Um, and um, that's kind of the majority of it. Um, so if you're a cheese producer and you're doing good, you know, in your business, you're going to create this existing waste stream. It's, it's proportional and it's going to grow as you grow. Um, and I think that's probably, um, depending where you live, what your resources are, your size, how integrated you are, that's impacts like how you're solving it. Um, and anyone who says this is how it's done is, you know, probably hasn't been on the ground to talk to a lot of makers, which I have. Um, and that so I've seen some makers, you know, they're able to kind of put it down their drain, it goes to their municipal wastewater treatment. Um, but they might be limited because of the high BOD on out and how many times a week they can produce um, because of the burden that thing goes you know, downstream for it. Um, or they might be charged a lot. Some people, you know, invest in essentially like a biodigester or some wastewater treatment on site to be able to handle that and mitigate that down. Um, some people truck it out and it goes back in animal feed. But I've also talked to producers where they're like, hey, if this farm won't take it, we can't operate. So that's a really um, you know, treacherous place to be. Um, and then some people you know, big companies um, and even some smaller ones, they might be able to kind of separate that out and capture that protein fraction of it. Um, and that's going to be that whey protein powder you're going to get in your smoothie. Um, but still, there's very little demand for what's left. Um, and we're able to tap into, you know, what what there isn't a lot of demand for. Um, and we're able to do it in a way that's not crazy causing crazy, crazy commodity swings. Cause I think that's the other thing that happens is, um, if you're trying to then, you know, create purpose out of your way, you know, there's huge commodity swings and what you're doing to, you know, try to be a value add might actually be a financial burden because the price might crash on a commodity product and, and then your whole production cycle, everything's out of balance and that. So what we're tapping into is what, you know, most, typically doesn't have a home and we're kind of creating a consistent value out of it and giving it its highest and best use um, and creating something that, you know, something was highly perishable um, and now we're giving it kind of infinite shelf life. Um, and that's kind of our vision with it and how we're tapping into different people. But, you know, it's a, everyone's trying to manage their own stream as best they can with their resources in hand. And, and that I haven't seen people, you know, 
willy nilly dumping or doing anything like bad, but it's just a burden. And when you have a burden, like it's definitely a pain point. (laughs) Um, and, um, you know, the, the, the various processes and what's happens with it, it varies quite a bit, but none of them them are ideal currently. Um, And that, so that's what we're trying to do with Wayward. So I'm going to use this as an opportunity to shift gears. We're going to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we're going to keep talking with Emily Darchuk of Wayward Spirit. And we're going to take a little bit of a dive into uh, cocktail hour. So we'll be right back. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. And we're back with Emily Darchuk of Wayward Spirit. This is Jessica Kesselman, and we are talking on Cutting the Curd about Wayward Spirit 80 proof. Um, Do you refer to it as a spirit? Do you refer to it as, um, like if I was at a bar and I walked up to the, bar, you know, to the bartender and, um, like, it's not gin, it's not vodka. It's wayward spirit. It's wayward spirit. Yeah. Um, our technical category, um, with, <laughs> um, is it's called a distilled specialty spirit, which, you know, by default is <laughs> the only space you can kind of innovate. Um, and so we're, we're technically a, a specialty spirit, but, I think that's the beauty of the name of Wayward Spirit. You just asked for Wayward Spirit. It is what it is. And what what is the flavor profile like? What um, how would you describe that? Yeah, so it's really beautiful. It's really delicate. Um, it has a little bit of vanilla oaky notes um, and some lactones that are naturally retaining from our source. Um, and that little bit of oaky note kind of helps us plug and play where maybe an aged spirit would in a lighter alternative. Um, and those lactones can help us plug and play where a rum would. You're also getting a little bit of warm spice. 
a little bit of pink peppercorn. Some people pick up a little, like just a hint of anise or elements of that. That really helps us play where a gin would. And then you're getting this crispness, this cleanness, this creaminess, this smoothness, um, and this like sweet, sweet element this um, to it that really kind of just elevates any anywhere you would traditionally use a vodka um, and that. So it's this beautiful, well-rounded, creamy, complex, you know, base for a martini, but also it makes really lovely Negronis. It makes all sorts of things. So, you know, those flavor elements is like um, this collaborative um, canvas to really highlight the other ingredients that go in your cocktail. You talked earlier about um, about the uh, components of making a good cocktail, and um, you know, COVID, while all of us were home, um, really created a lot of home chefs and also a number of home mixologists. I, I mean, my my Instagram feed was full of. Um, you know, aside from like all the sourdough bread being baked out there, um, people were also starting to really explore um, cocktails and creating like their um, ultimate um, bar cart at home. And um, so I'm curious about two things. Um, my first question is the role of social media and marketing particularly with a young company like yours um, and um, what what role social media marketing is playing in creating these new categories in general. Um, I guess I would just ask you that first question and then I can go to part two. Yeah, I think for us, COVID, COVID was interesting because we lost all avenues for trial, right? And sampling. Um, but especially in a category like alcohol, that's really kind of tight and controlled. And especially with the big guys, or you have to have your own physical location, like tasting room and all of these things, um, to play, it, it kind of went away. So the biggest thing for us, you know, social media and, um, those elements were huge, but for us, it, it created, you know, these cocktails to go opportunities, uh, DTC opportunities. Um, and we just kind of focused on telling our story and really learning and connecting. And, um, you know, through DTC, we were able to kind of all of a sudden that opened up with COVID be able to reach consumers in over 30 states without having to have the infrastructure to open up 30 states um, and doing that. So we were able to learn really quickly and find out and, you know, engage with people and and be really nimble and, and get some traction before kind of going into traditional um, channels with, you know, larger distribution and retailers and all of those things that come. So, you know, it helped a different brand, you know, with a different voice, really be able to get its foothold and tell our story and have a two-way conversation and, you know, prove that kind of product market fit without having to go through, you know, the traditional channels, which, you know, are obviously set up for, you know, traditional products. So for us, it's been kind of um, a great thing and interesting, but I think even more, 
within uh, social media and connecting with people, it's alternative routes to purchase and alternative routes to discovery. And, um, and that's both on the ability to sell to people, but also consumers being more curious on, you know, how to find new products and to actually purchase them and get them delivered, which was something pretty new over the past year. Yeah. And I hope that a lot of that stays. I hope that we don't see um, any kind of narrowing or cracking down on some of these new avenues that have opened over the last two years, because I do think it's, it's really helped push innovation. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's made it, it's made it a lot, um, easier to find a wider range of, um, items and, um, and, uh, you know, just people are shopping differently now too. I, I, I was just thinking about it, um, as I was, you know, looking online for something and just how, how much I've gotten away from brick and mortar. Um, and I guess that would be the same thing with, um, with spirits. I mean, it's not just with clothing and food and such, but it could be with spirits as well. And I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, absolutely. And for us, it's been, hey, it hasn't been a limiting factor. It's been a little bit of a pressure release valve. So you in New York can get a bottle, you know what I mean, without having to go, us having to do all the infrastructure at a retailer. But retail is still really important for us. You know, we are one of those things that's category creative, you know, so it adds a lot of value. And it's something like we're really big on win-win relationships. And, you know, we're kind of that break in case emergency mixologist dream. You know, if someone comes in and wants something new, um, this is, you know, obviously a quick pathway to delight. And it's really fun to see creatives, <laughs> you know, and mixologists really um, have a new tool in their toolbox and what they come up with. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I hope it continues to improve and grow and people do that. And with that, you know, comes better fulfillment options for us as a company and like all of these other partners that are going to further develop, um, you know, in that space that's just emerging. So it's an important piece of it. But like, I like having the conversations with customers and people in New York, you know, while being on the other coast and things like that. Um, and, you know, the exposure you get and, and the ability to learn where to go next and like all of that's super critical. And I, I hope it stays and, you know, nothing's better than, you know, being able to find something new, um, I think. And that's kind of broken down a lot of those, um, boundaries that didn't need to exist. Um, and that, so I, I, I hope it further, further grows and becomes mainstream and, and develops all around. And I'm also curious, is the conversation around food waste, is that happening in the, um, in the distilled specialty spirit world or, or in the, you know, more mainstream, um, beverage community do you do you hear that coming up in other places or you know or is it really still quite a small voice I think it's interesting so we launched fall 2020 um but we had I had quite a bit of ramp up um to be able to get the company to market so from when it first went to ideation um and concept and and just working through it and like getting support and everything like that I think it 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 was an absurd idea um but since from when I've started and believed in that this is the future you know now since you know since that time that I've been kind of 
trying to pave that path. There's other entrepreneurs that are tackling it in their own categories. There's an upcycled food association with all of us that are now getting corporate members. Um, there's, I think people are really starting to have that conversation is back to what you and I were talking about. It's like, why waste anything? Like if you're going to be talking about sustainability, obviously waste is a huge part of it. And if we're a double gold <laughs> at the New York World Wine and Spirits competition, which meant every single judge gave us a gold medal, tasting our spirit blind, not knowing anything. So like we're, we're top of the class there um, and we're preventing food waste. Why wouldn't that be an easy conversation? Why wouldn't that? There's no sacrifice to happen um, with it. So I think there's starting to be that conversation of like, waste isn't waste. It's just a gap in the food system, you know, and we're being creative to fill those gaps. Um, and we have the nimbleness to fill those gaps and do that in a way, um, you know, that adds value. Um, so I think it's that natural progression and I think it's the future. And I think it's something that can be touched on every category, which is really valuable on that. So it's, it's new and emerging, but like, I can't tell you how far it's come in the few years since like this was my idea through working through it, through launching to, to now the conversations I'm having, people really get it. And it's not weird and scary. Um, it is for some, but I think it's a big generational change too, where this is going to be like, yeah, why wouldn't you, <laughs> you know? Right. Right. I just want to, I just want to say what you said again, that waste isn't waste. It's just a gap in the food system. And I love I love the things that are happening in people who are taking that gap and, and, and creating something out of there. Um, and, uh, you know, creating links or highlighting, um, the connections and bringing new things to the market. Um, I just love that waste isn't waste. Um, I am so, I'm so excited, um, for this, for this whole conversation to keep happening in different segments of the um, food industry. Um, and I'm really, really glad that you joined us today on Cutting the Curd. I think this is just, you know, the beginning of, of, um, of a, larger, um, a larger conversation that I want to keep having on this um, podcast. And I'm glad that you were able to um, share your expertise and perspective with us. Thank you so much, Jessica. You're part of that positive change and um, can't thank you enough for the opportunity to talk with you and the platform to connect um, with all of your listeners and that, and, you know, um, invite everyone to um, come to Wayward Spirit and join our herd and learn more about what we're doing and, you know, um, start the conversation with us. And where can they find Wayward Spirit at this point? You have a website. Yep. So the easiest pathway to find us if you want to buy the product is just go to waywardspirit.com and um, just click buy now. Um, we're shipping about 39 states or so in DC. So odds are good we'll reach you. Um, we're working on, you know, more retailers in the state of California. Um, so bars and retailers, if you're in California, tell them you want Wayward Spirit. Um, but we ship to you pretty quick there too. Um, and then the same thing in Oregon. Um, and that, so those are kind of where we're at today, but odds are we can reach you and you can order just online, but you can also learn more and, you know, sign up for a newsletter and we're a pretty lean team and been tackling a lot, but there's a lot of exciting things on our horizon that we're, you know, um, really excited to be able to share with you guys and, you know, uh, invite you to be part of that wayward journey. And the upcycled food association. 
the Upcycled Food Association is a, a member organization, um, and that so you can learn more about other upcycled brands and other categories. We've been a member of them for a few years now, um, an early supporter, and um, I think it's a interesting platform, um, and it's awesome to now have a collective <laughs> to sure, go through. It sure. is a great resource to be able to find out who member companies are and hey, maybe you want to pull upcycled foods and every element you eat, you probably can do that and find every single food you have and find new brands and new flavors and new interesting things and, and learn a little bit more about where your food comes from. Yeah. And maybe, maybe even uh, be able to identify that gap um, in the food system that might, you might be able to innovate something yourself and, um, and help, help us all fight food waste. So awesome. thank you again. And thank you everybody for listening to Cutting the Curd. I'm Jessica Kesselman. And uh, don't forget to check out the other great podcasts on Heritage Radio Network. Check us out on Instagram and visit their Heritage Radio Network website. And I will be back here with you all soon. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.